founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Andrew Gawasak, co-founder and president of TrustStamp. TrustStamp is an artificial intelligence company that provides identity solutions through the overlapping sectors of biometrics, privacy, and cybersecurity. Andrew met his fellow co-founder, Gareth, through his wife and discovered they shared an interest in entrepreneurship. TrustStamp was founded in 2015. Andrew and his partner immediately set themselves apart from their competitors by utilizing biometric, biometric data to protect user privacy and utilize the data from the user to promote institutional security. Trust me, folks, we'll get some clarity on what this means. Andrew is a 2013 uh, cum laude graduate from Benedictine College with a degree in finance and economics and obtained a credential of readiness in business and managerial economics from the Harvard Business School in 2017. As president, Andrew oversees operations and business development and is the acting chief product evangelist of TrustStamp. TrustStamp is accelerating and growing at rapid rates, creating its very own launchpad to command the market. Andrew, after that long and windy intro, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Drew. Now, I always get nervous when we have that much information. Did I get it right? Is there anything we, we missed or, or uh, got wrong there? No, I think you. I think you got it all. Um, I was just say the only the only clarification is is that technically my first day is January one, twenty sixteen. Although, and I'll get into a little bit more. We were we were doing a lot of thinking about it all throughout twenty fifteen. But okay, no, you you got all the technical pieces, and we'll we'll doubtlessly chat a little bit more about what yeah. all that gobbledygook means here in a minute. Yes, please do for dummies like me. But let's start with. <laughs> Let's start with the uh, the origin story. What were the series of events that led you to start this company? Yeah, so as you kind of touched on, so it all starts with me meeting my co-founder. Um, so go back several years, um, and um, I was dating someone at the time, and she was like, "Hey, you need to meet my friends Barbara and Gareth. You know, they've been family friends forever. We've known them since like I first went into high school. Mm. Uh, you should meet them. They're good family friends." And I thought nothing of it. I was like, "Oh, hey, that's cool. That's exciting." Um, you know, we've been dating for like two or three months. Um, what I didn't realize was that they were some of the gatekeepers I had to get past to stay the boyfriend. Oh wow! Um, and so um, I found out. Um, you know, what some of their likes and dislikes were. And one of the things I found out about Gareth is he loves a good cigar. And I did a little bit of research. And again, it, with, with my wife who does not take any interest in those sorts of things at all, I was like, well, what color is the cigar usually? How long is it usually? Like, what does it look at? And I happened <laughs> to just show up with a really good cigar that actually um, interested him and kind of fit his profile and at least drunk a whiskey that night that didn't make him think less of me. So there you um, we go. just kind of naturally struck up a friendship and a conversation from there. Um, okay. And I, I knew I had done okay when um, we had been friends for a couple months and he told her, you know, if you end up getting rid of him, I'm going to hang on to him. He's at least a little bit interesting and fun. So, you know, <laughs> that's the best you can <laughs> it, hope. It, it, it all went from there. That's um, awesome. But yeah, so he and I just kind of naturally struck up a friendship. So Gareth is a serial entrepreneur by background and has been a, you know, tech junkie all his life. Um, you know, he tells stories of, you know, working on um, um, old TVs. He, he would repair them as a kid just to make a little extra money. So he's always been into, you know, tech hardware and then eventually software. And it's wow. funny because when we first started the company and I started, you know, doing things like this events or whatever, like we get in front of people and we start talking and everyone would be like, oh, this young guy must be like the tech guru or whatever it is of the two, which Gareth likes to remind me on a regular basis, he built his first computer before I was even born. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, as, as you described, you know, I kind of became, you know, um, you know, evangelist, uh, you know, roadshow man extraordinaire and always, you know, kind of focused on the part of the piece, but Gareth's always been kind of that technologist. And so he shared that with me kind of in the course of building our friendship and this kind of curiosity of like, you know, what was possible, what are some of the cool things you could do? Because I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. Okay. Um, you know, my family's always been kind of do-it-yourself business owners. Um, and so I knew it was something I wanted to get to. I couldn't have imagined it would have happened to me that, you know, this young and again, gone where it's gone. Yeah. Um, 
but he and I just kind of naturally struck up that ship and started kicking around some ideas. Um, so Gareth is just, again, avid technologist, IP machine, and he has ideas that he could possibly run with in a lifetime. And when I kind of conveyed to him, this was something that was interesting. He was like, well, there's this one idea that I really haven't had the bandwidth for. He was wrapping up a, a ed tech platform at the time, a not-for-profit. And he's like, it's a cool idea. I just don't have time to like do anything with it. So why don't you um, start doing some research? You know, I'll, I'll teach you some, you know, lean canvas stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll do a little customer discovery. Um, you know, by the way, pro tip of the day, Google surveys are your friend. Um, and yes. that became kind of my nights and weekends for like all of 2015 was kind of that initial idea that grew into what Trustamp is today. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's how the ball got rolling. Well, tell me about, yeah, um, tell me about Google surveys. Um, you're the first person that's mentioned that, but I, I think I know what you mean, but tell me, how did you use that for, for testing out the idea? Yeah. So unfortunately they've become uh, much more mainstream, you know, as I prop up my hipster glasses, I used them before they were cool. Um, <laughs> so um, at the time <laughs> they were running a special um, where if you sign up for Google surveys, the first time you could get, I think it was like $150 discount, but you got something like, I think it was 1500 responses and you could ask one question and it be free response. It could be structured in all sorts of different ways, but like for basically like a hundred bucks, like you got like 1500 responses to a question. Wow. And so I went around begging all of my friends and family members for their accounts. Cause I'm like, you're never going to use this. I need a discount. I don't have much money, but I need these responses. You know, and, and again, it was all of these iterations of the questions of basically what becomes your problem statement and your solution statement. And I must have harangued like, probably all of my friends and family. Uh, but those, you know, 1500 responses at a time, it became our story. Um, and eventually it became the moment where Gareth looked at it and he goes, something's wrong here. I've never seen this many positive responses to these kinds of questions. He's like, something's gotta be up here. And so we actually, to a friend who was uh, a friend of his, who was a fairly cynical um, angel uh, investor. Yeah that we must be structuring this question wrong, that right? we must be biasing it somehow. Something's supposed to be right. And he's like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you, you should structure it this way. And then the next couple of surveys we did were actually more positive than before he played with it. So <laughs> that was interesting. Well, um, so at that point, Gareth get to um, one of his friends who had backed um, several of his previous ventures. The guy was like, yeah, this is a really, really good idea. Um, by the way, um, if you make this like small tweak to your, kind of launch plan. Um, all right. The first check. <laughs> so, wow. Um, all right, so take yeah, me into, was, if you can. Google surveys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a pro tip that I'm going to use. And I hope everybody uses on this podcast, but uh, do you remember what was the thesis or the question that you're primarily asking? And then what was the feedback you got that helped shape what this turned into? Yeah. So and again, I'm probably going to butcher a little bit, um, but the, the original idea was just trying to establish who are you and can I trust you, in particular between relationships that originated online and then moved into the real world. Mm. And the original, I guess, kind of environment that we thought about it for were things like Craigslist. Facebook Marketplace didn't exist yet. But each of us had stories, each of us had, you know, stories from other people where it's like, yeah, I went to, you know, sell my old iPhone and I met this really shady person in a bank and like, Nothing went wrong, but like, I just didn't get a good feeling from this guy. Oh and yeah. Like every had, everyone had that kind of antidotal story of like what felt like could have been a near miss. And then obviously you have the news stories of, you know, things going horribly wrong. Oh, my friend got robbed at a gas station doing that. Yeah. So, and again, this is not to downplay that, but that's one of the more mild stories that you would find. So again, going back to 2015, Andrew's got nothing else going on on his nights and weekends um, because his girlfriend's being productive getting her LLM in school. Um, so one of the things I did was I actually had to go through and started hand counting all of the murders, convictions associated with Craigslist. So just the murders, mind you. Whoa. Craigslist doesn't track this stuff. Craig's been very clear. He believes in the anarchy in the market. Like they don't track that stuff. At the time, I counted over a hundred. Um, and again, this is just Craigslist alone. This is not like, you know, all those other websites that tried to mimic, you know, the Craigslist magic. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. 
and terrifying. Yeah. And so the original question was just, would you be willing to pay insert dollar amount? We played with different amounts um, to verify the identity and have an indicator of the trustworthiness of someone you met online before meeting them in the real world. Again, a much more long-winded version. There was character restriction. Gareth was really good at cutting that down. But that was basically the core concept was, do you want more indication of who you're meeting before you go meet them? And Man. let alone when you're trying to go buy and sell something. Like the, like the show Catfish on MTV. Do you remember that? Yeah, exactly. Well, so funny that you bring that up. So we played with it a lot within, you know, the marketplace. So again, Craigslist, you know, other platforms. The next one was, oh, okay, um, online dating. How often does this happen? You got catfish. Um, Romance scams are a big thing. Um, I think it was LexisNexis just today sent me an alert. And it's like, hey, romance scams are up 50% this year. I'm like, oh, I wonder why everyone's stuck home alone. But like, there are all sorts of crimes associated with those platforms because you don't know who you're dealing with. Um, one of the ones that was most fun was there was a, a dating website in China. I don't think it exists anymore. It was shady to start with. <laughs> they investigated and they found out there was actually one real female user. All the rest were a bunch of guys talking to bots that had been set up by the <laughs> creator of this kind of like sham dating website. Again, <laughs> all the fun stuff you discover in your nights and weekends because you got nothing better to do. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was kind of the core question was just, would you be willing to pay a certain amount to get an assurance of this person is and here's, you know, some of their trust indicators, you know, early on. And so we looked at dating websites, we looked at on-demand platforms like Uber and Lyft, Airbnb. So, you know, would you want to know who it is before they get in your car, before you get into their car, before you let them into their, into your home, before they come into your home uh, or before you go into their home? Um, it, It was consistently positive. Some between like, on average, it was between 30 and 50% of respondents said, yeah, I'd absolutely pay for this assurance. Um, and that's what eventually just to look at um, peer-to-peer finance. So things wow. like peer-to-peer loans, but also peer-to-peer payments. So things like Venmo and PayPal. It, it, it came onto our radar because some of the scams that on in Craigslist was people pulling funny business after the fact with like PayPal and Venmo and whatnot. Interesting. Um, and so... Again, very positive responses. And again, that's part of what piqued the interest of, of Eric's investor friend was that finance piece because he came from a world where he was also familiar with the amount of um, identity fraud going on in financial services. Account takeover um, is a big, big issue still, but was sure. becoming increasingly prevalent as the amount of breaches went up. And so, yeah, it, it, it all it, it all. With that question, and I mean, today it's we're still driven by the question of just who are, can I trust you? I mean, that's still kind of at the core of what we do and why we do it. Yeah, man, that's amazing. And obviously a brilliant, brilliant answer. This is maybe the third company that we've interviewed, all with different focuses, not the same, but somewhere around cybersecurity, somewhere around like helping people in this new world we live in where it's so easy to fake something, right? Um yeah. So for you guys, what is the typical use case? Like for people that are using your product, how are they using it? Uh, and what does it look like to use it? Yeah, so a lot of our um, clients are usually a financial institution. Um, so it's usually kind of a okay. B to B to C type of business model. So we provide software to the financial institutions, financial institution and then supplies it to the end user. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because it was funny, um, Chief commercial officer one the joke he's like you know one of the great things about this is that it can go so many places one of the terrible things about this is it can go so many places yeah i mean you're absolutely right the world is becoming increasingly interconnected and so like one of the hardest things for us out of the gate was like what's the first use case that we tackle yeah because this identity issue is so big and there were two that we started out with one was uh customer enrollment um, okay. the other one was um for people who have locked themselves out of their accounts Mm. So um, I'll start with probably the one that's most familiar to everybody, which is you lock yourself out of your account or you've been blocked out of your account, you know, um, on any normal part of the, the <laughs> in any other normal timeline, I would be traveling a lot. And this happened to me a lot. It's like, oh, you're in a strange location. I'm going to lock your card or like, yeah. oh, you made a large transaction in Amsterdam or something like that. It's like, hey, I don't think that's you. We're going to lock you. So either you forgot your username and password you've been locked out for one reason or another. 
And then you go and try to answer what are called knowledge-based authentication questions. Um, did your last payment end in 17 yep. cents or 71 cents? I don't know if you're like me, I suck at answering those questions. I'm horrible at it. Um, I yeah. can never remember those things. I, I hate the one when it's like, name every address that you've ever been associated with. Because obviously as a founder, like I bounced around a lot of places and was associated with a lot of different locations. And so I'm like, uh, yes. darn it. I don't know how much information you have on me. So might be this answer. Um, <laughs> if you, real quick, this is a hilarious story that goes right with that. This just happened to me because I had to fly out to go uh, talk at this conference thing. And I rushed out the door and didn't realize my kids, I have three kids. One of them had taken my wallet out of my bag and I, I always keep it in my bag. So like I rushed to the airport, it's like 5.30 in the morning. I get to into security and I'm going to pull out my wallet out of my bag and there's no wallet. I have no ID, right? So I was, I was nice. freaking out. I called my wife like 30 times and she didn't hear me because everyone was still asleep at the house and her phone uh, wasn't on or whatever. Uh, so I had to go through this authentication process at the airport, both on the way there and on the way back with like Homeland Security. And they're asking me knowledge-based questions. And I aced the easy ones on the way there. But on the way back, they were asking me stuff like the the last two addresses of where you lived. And I couldn't think of it. I I, I barely got the street name. I couldn't get the the number, mailbox number or whatever. And then yeah, they went, and they're not going to let you look at your phone to cheat. <laughs> no, no. I said, can I just look it up? And the, the guy was like, you can't look at your phone. So he put my phone away. And then it was like, what's your dad's birth date? I was like, oh no, I don't know my dad's birthday. I was like, I'm so sorry. I will neither I, confirm nor deny whether or not I've remembered or forgotten that one. <laughs> oh, I own it, man. It's a, it's a longstanding joke with my family that I just can't remember people's birthdays. I've, I already feel bad about it. Now it's coming to bite me at the airport. And I literally got the last two questions right. And the guy on my end was like, dude, you got so lucky. You were almost out of questions. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so anyways, it makes me think of that exact situation. But I mean, again, yeah, again, to your point, it happens all over the place. We yeah. just happen to start with financial institutions because it happens much. Yeah. Um, Additionally, we started with financial institutions because the fraudsters are really good at answering those questions for you now. Yeah. They have. All the, because of all the breaches that have happened, they have all the answers to those questions lined up, ready to go whenever they hit that wall. I mean, they yeah. are locked and loaded. Um, and so that was leading to a lot of account takeover. So you kind of have this like sort of institution. Um, you already have the bad guys getting in. So you'd like to make it more difficult for them, but adding more of these questions isn't going to solve that. Sure. Um, and then on the other hand, you have a lot of, good customers. Again, folks like you who are just like, look, I'm just trying to get through this process. Like, I just want my whatever it is. Let me yep. in. Yep. And the terrible thing about financial, um, uh, I guess, kind of institutions locking you out is if you fail, they now have an obligation to put you through the ringer, which is normally this like horrible manual process. And it's expensive for them. It usually involves a human. You sometimes have to get stuff or send stuff through the mail. So that mm. adds time. So there's time loss. And goodwill is being damaged the whole time. Um, and so the first one we started off with is, well, can we just go back into their accounts more quickly? Um, so that was just kind of where we started. Perfect. Um, so using a combination of um, biometric technology and document recognition, which has since become you know, pretty common technology, um, we would layer on our privacy and security protecting um, technology so that the bank didn't have to worry about defending this, you know, giant honeypot of biometric data, mm. but they could then use it and run their comparisons that they needed to have assurance. Oh, this is actually Drew coming back into his account. Um, and it was overwhelmingly positive in that first use case. And so oh, the, yeah. second, the second one we went into was um, enrollment. So, you know, one of the things that's become really important to us as we've grown is financial inclusion. Um, and there's a growing number of uh, people who have difficulty or are adversely affected by being what's called thin file. There's just a lot of information on you. Mm. You could not have a long credit history because, you know, FICO has been so important. Um, you know, you could just be a young person without a lot of file. You could be an immigrant. Um, there are lots and lots of reasons that you could be thin file. Um, but very often these people are put through um, just very, very arduous tasks just to prove, hey, I'm me trying to yeah. open this bank account. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, 
things like the breaches haven't helped things, you know, you know, um, identity provider A may say one thing about you, identity provider B may say another, but because that information has been lost, it can conflict and sometimes create a false positive. Ah. And so we applied a very similar method to say, hey, you've been flagged. We think it might still be you um, through this process. And we will, uh, you know, try to verify that this is actually you. Um, but we take it kind of a step further in that when we encounter a piece of this biometric data in particular, we can transform any data, but this biometric data in particular, um, we'll through a one-way transformation. Um, some people, again, a lot smarter than me, have described it. It's most akin to what's called a tokenization process or a hashing process. Um, and the output of that is what we call an irreversibly transformed identity token. Hmm. Or I just call it an IT2 for short. Um, because again, I'm not technical. Again, Gareth built his first computer before I was born. Um, <laughs> but what that token represents is something that's as unique to you as your biometric, but it can't be reverse engineered to that original data, even by us, intentionally so. And so what we'll also do when we're rolling you is saying, okay, this token claims to be Drew McClure. Let's see if, the, if we've encountered this token anywhere else mm. to gain assurance that this isn't just a fraudster trying to make multiple IDs trying to come into the system. Mm. Um, and that's proved to be really effective. One, for letting, again, more of these good people in, yeah. but making it increasingly difficult for the bad guys um, to try to come in. I love that. Man, so this is kind of a funny question, but also kind of serious. Uh, have you seen Have you seen the news about that guy who got locked out of his Bitcoin account? Yes. Could you, could y'all have stopped that? Right. Like, could you have, could you potentially, yeah. If he, if he had, um, if he had, you know, if, if the platform had the technology where you had the option of what's broadly referred to as step up authentication. So, again, that lockout instance, if yeah. they had implemented this stuff, yeah, he could absolutely use his, you know, his biometric to try to. Yes. But because that, here we are. You don't have the string of code. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, when I was, when I, I bought Bitcoin a few years ago, and oh, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, not not enough to like change my life, but I bought some. Um oh, and, yeah, that was during the the slump. Yeah, I bought it. I think I bought my first little bit when it was at four thousand and the next little bit when it was at seven thousand. Um go. so I got into decently early, but well, I remember looking at wallets, right? Like this yeah. idea of Bitcoin wallets and stuff. And yeah, I you've heard the stories even before yeah. this guy, you'd heard the stories. Yeah, man. And they but they were even talking about in the wallet themselves, like you need to have the it written down somewhere and kept away. And if you don't, if you can't remember it, I'm like, dude, this sounds like you need to have a better process for storing, storing something like this. Not so that it, not only so it can't get hacked, but also so that I can't get locked out of this damn thing. And then I just saw that story of that guy and I'm thinking that's another version of the kind of product you guys have out in the world that would have changed something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And let's face it, that, particular process, you know, that string of code is even more complex than the already painful 12 to 18 digit alphanumeric passwords with three non-sequential numbers and a special character that we seem to have pinned onto everything. Um, yes. That one is particularly egregious. And again, that's not even the most common one, which is again, already painful. So yeah, I, I feel you. Um, a lot of our customers feel, all of our, a lot of our customers feel that exact same pain and thus again yeah we started with that use case because it was so i guess obvious to everybody yeah especially when your money's involved right i mean that's that is, that's a great place to start uh, i want to change gears just for a second um i love the juxtaposition between the experience that your co-founder and friend had and then this being you know one of your first if not the first real kind of entrepreneurial go that you've gone and it's already taking off um what has that been like for you, you know, in terms of what you thought it might be like versus the reality or the growth curve? Uh, what has that been like for you getting in this world so early? Yeah, I, I usually make the um, self-effacing statement that, um, you know, based on my background, you'd think, of, you know, preparing to become, you know, Michael Scott in charge of Dunder Mifflin. But the reality <laughs> is I'm now on the track to become Richard Hendricks from Silicon Valley and as dev I was definitely not trained for that track. So it's been a great learning experience. Yeah. 
Great um, reference, by the way. I love Richard Hendricks from Silicon Valley. Hilarious. Fantastic show. Um, but yeah, it's been really great, I guess, kind of one, starting a company, especially your first startup with someone you know, someone you trust, and someone who's, you know, adds a lot of perspective uh, when you hit major kind of inflection points and decision points. Um, you know, Gareth will never claim to have all the answers, but he can at least kind of narrow it down like, these are some of the reasons things based on experience that we should be looking at Yeah. versus, you know, if you're both new founders or you're kind of going it alone, um, you know, you can sometimes have, you know, a paralysis by analysis, you know, you're faced with a, a problem or inflection point. And you're just like, I don't know what decision to make. Yeah. So um, I think that's been one of the most um, eye-opening things in the journey is just how much, how much value there is in experience. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. But on the flip side, um, how different every adventure is. Again, Gareth can usually narrow it down to a really reasonable range of options for us to pursue. Adventure is still just completely different every time. And it's one of the reasons I enjoyed listening to this podcast is no one has the exact same story. The VCs tell you what they want in terms of your progress and your milestones and whatever. That's not how it ever happens. That's right. Um, you want it to happen. You wish it was that straightforward because then you would have fewer sleepless nights and less anxiety, but like, it's just not how it happens. Yeah. And so I think that was, I, I think that's been, I guess, kind of one of the hallmarks of this experience has been, it never happens according to the norm, whatever the norm is, whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. Everyone says is usually is. So just got to be ready to, again, roll with it. And again, lean on the people you know and trust with some experience and then go with it. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, that's been my favorite part of the podcast is getting to hear the variety of journeys. Now there's been, there's been similar principles that have emerged, right? Where almost like kind of wise, wise ways of looking at things, but it's yep. all been varied in how long it takes and what steps they took and all of that's been so different. Um, for you, I'm curious at what has been, maybe been been the most challenging in the success, right? Success is awesome. It's great. It's working. What's been the most challenging aspect of it? I think one of the most challenging aspects is definitely how rapid fire it's been. Mm. Um, Gareth's regularly brought up to me. He's like, I've never had a company grow this fast. Um, so it's seen, you know, you can sometimes have this feeling of like, didn't we just have a major decision and inflection point? Are we already at another one? Like, <laughs> surely this can't be the case. Um, yeah. And so it can sometimes feel, you know, overwhelming when you're, again, you're kind of what feels like a rocket ship um, is really starting to go. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, you hear other people's stories and, well, we faced this problem. It took a couple of years and it's like, man, I'm, I'm working on like weeks and months. Sometimes what feels like day to day and I'm suddenly hitting these points that I'm having to make these major decisions. So I think mm. that's been one of the exciting parts, but also one of the challenges is just, it's gone so fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, uh, that's a great example of the, of the rocket ship because the thing's moving so fast, it exposes all the, the potential, you know, stress points and weak points and whatever, because of the speed. Right. Yep. Um, I'm curious for you when you feel that pressure, maybe you don't, but <laughs> the pressure of the Sorry. decision. Yeah. Um, what, what helps you cope with that and what helps you um, handle that pressure as well as you can? Yeah. Um, so some, one of the things that always helps me, and again, I, I'm in kind of a unique and privileged position in that, um, you know, Gareth and I were friends before we started this. And unlike, you know, some of the famous stories where, you know, like the relationship falls apart and blah, blah, blah over time between founders, um, we've maintained that friendship. And so sometimes just being able to like have an honest conversation where it's like, man, this is really hard. Like we're, yeah. we're having to work through some really tough stuff and like have those candid conversations, but also just to like take a moment and just like shoot the breeze again yeah. before, you know, kind of like before we started the company where it's just like, you know, talk about cigars and whiskey or something like that. That's right. Um, you know, pre pandemic, you know, Gareth and I would regularly just kind of schedule time and be like, we just need to hang out a little bit. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think one of the, one of the ways to de-stress was again, just kind of having friendships. Again, I'm in a unique position and one of my friends is also a member of the team. So uniquely yeah. understands kind of what I'm up against. Yeah. Um, and I understand what he's up against. Um, but I think just taking time again for 
other human interactions, I think is probably one of my greatest uh, de-stressors when coming to those tough points. That's huge. And how do you guys, how, how have you guys gone about making decisions together? So I, I have a co-founder as well, who's one of, one of, if not my best friends. Um, and we kind of have our way of going about it, but I wonder for you guys, is it kind of a division of, Hey, well, if it's in, under this purview, you make the final call. If it's under his, or is it always a, a kind of a collaboration? We agree together. This is the decision we're making. How have you guys, if you don't mind me asking, how do you guys? Yeah, kind of, so, so normally there are, there is some division. I mean, part of it's just in, by nature of kind of where we are in terms of size, you know, we can't wait around for Andrew and Gareth to make all the decisions. Sure. Um, so there are certain things that we trust each other where it's like, if it's a de- this decision, you go with it. If it's a this decision, you go with it. There are certain big ones where we're bringing it up with each other. We're like, hey, we really need to think about this. Um, and again, this is where, you know, I lean on Gareth's experience to at least kind of help us focus. And then we'll make a decision from there. But one of the things I think that's been really helpful is that um, we've always had what we call um, a challenge anything culture. Mm. If someone looks at a plan or strategy and it just doesn't smell right or seem right, like they are allowed and encouraged to try to poke holes in it. Yeah. Uh, Not in a, you know, combative or unproductive kind of belligerent way. Like there are some people who just love the sound of their own voice and that's not encouraging. But if, if it's in a genuine, like some not adding up here and here's what I think is wrong. They're encouraged to share that with the group. Yeah. Um, and that's at all levels. And so, you know, very often, you know, Gareth and I will be faced with a decision. We'll be like, well, what has everyone said about this? Um, and sometimes that'll be, you know, kind of the next level of management. Sometimes we'll open up company wide questions and it's like, what does everyone think about this? Mm. Um, and so, you know, again, having that built into the culture, so it's not just the two of you trying to think through this. And again, this goes to everyone's, you know, adventure being different, you know, you, you at least think through more options. So you come to something that is more optimal to fit your experience and what you think is best. I love that, man. That is really great wisdom by the two of you guys. And I want to parlay that question into what was going to be my next question anyways, which is around around some of the biggest lessons or, or things that have helped you in building and leading your teams, because, you know, one part of the equation is the product or the service and it's fit in the market and they're being demand for it. And then there's the whole other challenge of once you figure that out, I've now got to build a company to support that growth and to fulfill that demand and execute on the goals and that kind of thing. And that's a whole new learning curve. Uh, so for you, um, you just mentioned one of them. One of them is that idea of creating a culture where you're free to challenge and we invite it and we want your input. Um, what other things have emerged so far that you're like, man, this has been really critical for us to learn. Maybe we didn't do it well at first, or maybe we got it right away. doesn't matter. But what have we learned about building our company? Yeah. Oh man. I feel like, yeah, I, was, I feel like I could do a whole episode, you know, of our time, you know, just delving into that one. Yeah. Um, I think one of the one of the lessons really early on, and this kind of gets back to what we were chatting about, you know, the Google surveys. You know, one of the first things Gareth turned me on to when we were um, starting to test the idea was, you know, Steve Blank's, you know, kind of lean canvas methodology. You know, he has a great line, which is "Get out of the get out of the building." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go out and engage people um, in order to really test the idea. And so it's funny, I actually have the book here on my desk. Um, Gareth actually got me a copy that blank signed and it says, Andrew, get out of the building. Um, <laughs> and that I think has been one of the most helpful because you're forced to get out of your bubble. You're yeah. forced to get out of your echo chamber and actually talk with the people who will be interacting with the good or service you are looking to provide. Yeah. And so by extension, encouraging other team members to put themselves in the shoes of people outside the organization has been really helpful. Now that's not to say like I'm having our developers go out and sell, but we always encourage them. Like when you're doing things, like think about who's going to be using this. Think about who's going to be interacting with this. Yeah. Um, And one of the ways that we try to, again, help the people who aren't directly interfacing with the customer is to share openly what we're learning, what we're experiencing, what the customers are telling us, 
Um, we have a whole channel in our Slack, it's called Our Universe, where everyone contributes um, industry-related articles so wow. that everyone can see how the industry is moving, what are, um, you know, what is the, the public saying about it, what are regulators saying about this stuff, um, so that everyone is kind of forced out of the office or out of the building a little bit. Yeah. Um, because if you lose sight of that, again, you get groupthink, you get stuck in an echo chamber, uh, and you know that's where where bad things start cropping up. So, in addition to being able to challenge anything, I think the idea that uh, you've got out of the building um, in some capacity um, is really really important. Um, that's huge. The last one, and I, I give full credit because I'm not, this is a borrowed turn of phrase from where we actually had our first office. It was the Atlanta Tech Village. Um, there, there's there's an overwhelming ethos there of just nice. Um, theirs is be nice and dream big. Ours was just kind of just just be nice. Yeah. Um, to everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you hear some of the again talking about the show. You know, Silicon Valley. You know, you have these Gavin Belson types who are just out to blow up on somebody and blame other people and. You know, they're cutthroat and ruthless and that's how they've gotten ahead. That's never been in our culture. Mm. You know, it's very much just been like, just be nice and not just like be nice to the person who's going to buy your product, the person who's investing in your company. I mean, I'm talking like be nice to, um, you know, the person who cleans up the office at night. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things we always look for um, in team members is do you have that kind of capacity? Because it's like, you can be an absolute killer in your field, but if you're going to be, again, kind of the destructive, you know, Gavin Belson types, like there may not be a culture fit there. Yeah. Um, and right. so I'd say that's another thing that, you know, we've really instilled is just, just be nice, man. Like mm. it costs you nothing. It can only do you good in the long run. Like just, just be nice, man. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, what at Netflix or Amazon or somebody that had famously something like that in their, and kind of their corporate policy? I think one of them did. One of the big ones. I can't ones remember like who it was. Yeah, it was one of the it was one of the big ones for sure. But yeah, it yeah, again, it's it's a shared sentiment. Cause again, it, if you look at it, it rarely costs you anything. Yeah, I love that. And again, being nice doesn't mean like be a doormat. You're right. Like when you go to the negotiating table, like you are going to negotiate, you know, the most commercial reasonable deal. But like a lot of people don't realize that a lot of what happens in your startup life is rarely a zero sum as like, you know, again, TV shows and other media and some yeah. people's stories make it out to be. It's very yeah. rarely as zero sum as you think it is. And if you just take a moment to, again, maybe be nice is even a little simplistic, but just to empathize in order to be nice, yeah. you actually have a rare opportunity to kind of turn the experience on its head. And it's funny the number of times Gareth's done that. Um especially to, again, like external parties, especially during a negotiation. And it catches them totally off guard. They're like, oh man, this person like actually cares about us and is like yeah. seeing it from our perspective. And it's amazing how far that kind of mentality goes. Yeah. Again, even outside our organization to people who should be just hard-nosed fighting against us for their best deal. It's amazing how disarming it can be. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah. We, we, we couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it was interesting. I, I got, I came across um, a situation that happened recently where somebody, you know, there's, we have uh, like an email list. We have a few of them, right? Somebody got on there, I guess, by accident or whatever, and just misread the tone of one of the emails and just blasted us, you know, <laughs> like sent back one where you're like, whoa, what, what, what happened? You're trying to figure out like what email yeah. did they get and what's going on? And uh, the guy who wrote it, who's awesome, was not his intention it just came off however she was having a bad day right and uh i was like go go win her back man like i don't i don't need her to be a customer but like i want to see if you can flip someone that has a bad taste in their mouth towards us and let's let's go be kind like who knows what kind of because he was like man forget this person you know and we we're like no nah, go be kind like go say we're sorry we don't know how you ended up on this list and you know, fix the problem. And he was even so impacted afterwards. Like they had a great conversation and she, she apologized that she was having a bad day. Like we thought she was, and he was able to apologize. And you're like, man, this world functions so much more smoothly. If just what you're saying, like, if we just were kind, right. Like be good people, <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And they, 
you know, there are, again, there are always those people who will just dig in and, and be difficult because they want to be for one reason or another. For one reason or another, yeah. But, you know, again, you don't, <laughs> you, you don't have to go and play that game because odds are they're much better at it than you are. And again, that's when you just end in one of those negative death spirals. So, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're all, they're, I'm not saying the world has to be perfect, obviously. Uh, but again, if you can just kind of stick to that, it, it'll it'll save you time and win you more friends than it'll cost you anything. That's absolutely right, man. That's so good. Uh, okay, last question before we get into lightning round. For you, got so much going on. Calendar's full, responsibilities on you. Um, have you learned anything for you in particular? It doesn't have to be for anybody else, but for you in particular that helps you recharge and show up ready to rock every day. Uh, is there a routine? Is I was about there... to say, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's like any like one thing. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that, and it's, it's an interest, it's a discipline thing. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do better and better um, as I've grown, um, as my family's grown, um, is in those moments where you put the phone down, you're not looking at the emails, like be in those moments. Yeah. Don't get many of them. You do have responsibilities. There are big, hairy, scary things that you need to get to and deal with on a regular basis. There are things you absolutely have to triage. You're the founder. Absolutely. But in those moments that you put it down, like put it down. Mm. Um, you'd be amazed the insights that you get just from doing simple things. I'm not saying you don't, I'm not saying, you know, you, you answer your problem or again, make this customer not upset or this, you know, um, VC invest in your company, whatever your challenge is. I'm not saying you get the answer to that, but you amaze the perspective it can add when you're actually present in those non moments. Um, I'll just answer the only share one. I remember um, again, on any normal basis, I'd be traveling anywhere between, Dubai and San Francisco. Again, chief product evangelist. My job is to get on a plane and talk to people. Mm. Um, I remember something had happened. Um, we were at one of those tough points. Um, you know, the, one of those big decisions we had to make that I was thinking about a lot. I had just finished a very long travel stint. Um, and I came home, um, picked up my daughter and she probably like one and a half of the time, and I'm just like sitting around doodling on my phone, trying to, again, magically come up with the answer to this thing, sitting on the floor. And she, from the couch, throws a bouncy ball at me. And I'm just like, what? And then she starts laughing hysterically. Just that, you know, you know, viral YouTube very video, you know, baby giggle. I just yeah. thought it was hilarious. And so, like, I put the phone down and I now, and I still remember it to this day. I just kept bouncing the ball back to her. And she threw it back to me and just laughed hysterically. Come on. And like in that moment, you were like, hey, not that this isn't a big deal, but I'm like, the world isn't going to end if I don't answer now. It was amazing how much more perspective that one interaction added to the rest of the week. Everything was more bearable and doable. And I was probably a bit more pleasant to be around. Sure. Because I just put the phone down and bounced the ball at my daughter. Like, so be in those moments when you put the phone down. Might be the best thing you said all day. I, I, I'm taking that one to heart, man. Being present, especially right where you are and not being distracted all the time is, is going to be huge, right? Yep. Um, awesome, buddy. All right, let's get into these lightning round questions. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, um, if you could ingrain, number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Get out of the building. Perfect. Get out of the building. Number two. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And simultaneously, what was the worst? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. The worst? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> gosh, I was going to say, so I, I think one of the best that I got, and again, it, it's manifested in itself in many different ways, but it's all boiled down to that whole kind of be nice ethos. And again, I've seen that, you know, working with Gareth, again, I've learned it and seen it play out with, you know, the folks at, you know, the tech village and, whole bunches of other places. So I say that's probably one of the best bits that I've gotten is just to get that kind of be nice uh, mentality. The worst bit of advice, that's a hard one. Um, gosh, 
because I'm I, I am a chronic um, I'm, I'm a I'm an accelerator junkie like on like over 10 at this point and like they're fantastic programs but you inevitably meet that like one other participant who just thinks they know everything yes. and you know decided to for whatever reason take you under their wing air quotes <laughs> and it's usually horrible advice I, again there's at least one per cohort uh, and again, it's not any program's fault. I think it's just a factor sure. at the startup world. I'm trying to think of what one of the worst ones was. I, th- I think probably one of the worst ones was we were talking about, you know, like business development. And this guy just basically, again, had this like zero sum mentality. Like mm. they were negotiating a deal and they were like, you know, well, this isn't my problem. They They should have, you know, caught this, thought of this, whatever it was. And I'm like, well... You can negotiate with who's going to be ever. This person was also in, um, you know, kind of a uh, enterprise sales uh, uh, business, and it was like, well, you can have that mentality, but you're going to be stuck with this person for a long, long time. Oh yeah. And if it ever comes to light, and you try to like throw that in their face, like, tell me how that goes. That goes for you, buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. You know. So again, I guess kind of my worst advice is just again kind of the inverse of the be nice, which is yeah, you know, always think of number one. You know, yeah, I, kill I, or I've be killed. Bought. I gotta yeah. win the deal. You gotta lose the deal. It's like yeah, I, I've never bought into that, but there are so many people who adhere to it. I know, and the thing is, even if you get short term results, you don't get long term results because it's like oh, yeah, again, especially in this you know world where again we're dealing with financial institutions. You know, we're gonna be working with you for years, ideally. That's um, right. That's right. So you those build can trust. either be great years or terrible years. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. All right. Number three, what what causes you personally the most worry or stress leading your organization? Oh, worry or stress. Um, not to be a specific, but I was about to say my my fear is always letting people down because okay. um, so many people have put in so much blood, sweat, and tears into this at this point. Sure. Um, it's the people who have invested money. It's the people who have invested time. It's you know developers, you know, marketing team members, sales team members, like people who have, you know, foregone other opportunities to go on this adventure with us and, you know, built their livelihoods around this, you know, it's, you know, you know, Gareth, who's obviously a friend, you know, like that's always your biggest fear is, you know, letting people down. Um, yeah, I'd say that's always my biggest concern. Cause again, you step back for a moment and you realize how much has been gifted to you by others. Mm. Um, it becomes really, really important to you that you not betray that mm. um, and that you be true to that. And again, give it all you've got. Um, Cause yeah, you've been gifted so much. So good, man. Thank you for your honesty. Number four, what is your BHAG big, hairy, audacious goal? It can be for you personally. It can be for the business. Again, you don't have to share too specifically oh, if you don't want, but What's kind of a big, hairy, audacious goal that drives big, you? Big, hairy, audacious goal. So I guess one of the ones that I'm really focusing on in the in the short term is um, growing uh, the business development team. So that's, you know, largely sales and marketing. Um, you know, we're in a business with very long sales cycles. They're complex sales. Um, you know, we, again, we're, we're growing very, very quickly. So we're growing to sizes that we've never grown before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think my big, hairy, audacious goal is to really instill, again, all of the um, things we've talked about in that team and not allowing us to lose sight of who we are as a company as we grow or as I grow that specific element of it. Mm. Um, because again, it's just one of those areas where as you grow, you can sometimes lose sight and lose your way. And I know it's a big, hairy, audacious goal to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say that's, that's my big hairy audacious goal is building a sales and marketing team that is, you know, hyper efficient, but also true to who we are. Love it, man. Love it. Okay. Number five, my favorite question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window. So you don't get to have a full on conversation. Oh man. When would you go back and what would it be? When would I go back and what would it be? Oh, yep. man. You get to pop by, roll down the window, and shout something out to yourself back in the past. <laughs> um, 
This is why yeah, it's my so favorite I was question. Say, I was about to say, um, it's going to be as, you know, probably right after Andrew submits his, you know, 30-day notice for his old job, uh, rolled out my window and just yell, if you're not reading, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> there are so many times, like, I am a notoriously, like, slow reader, and it's, like, difficult for me in mm. many instances, but it's, like, there's so much to learn. And if you're doing anything but, like, reading... <laughs> And, yeah. you know, that, you know, again, not put the phone down time, but that other free time. Yeah. That you yeah. Have, it's like, you need to be reading, you need to be yeah. reading everything that you could possibly get your hands on <laughs> wow. because it it's, it's so crucial. Um, it's one of those skills that again, I've, I've always historically struggled with, but it's just become increasingly important to me as I've grown. And so, yeah, Absolutely. I would just, I would just yell at myself. If you're not reading, you're wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I catch the drift and, like, you know, what? get ahead of things and and read as much as I could even before I get to the, the inflection points. I love that. Uh, That makes me want to follow up and and technically slide in a sixth question. (laughs) Do you have a short list? And I know this is hard for people that like learning like me and and you, but do you have a short list of books that come to mind that have been either most helpful or your favorite? Uh, Short list of books. That's a hard one. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. I was about to say, well, hang on here. I'll give a shameless plug again, just because it's here on my desk. It's the, well, you can't see it because the background is the startup owner's manual. Um, again, that's the one that Gareth got me signed by Steve Blank. That one. Okay. I mean, it's basically the startup encyclopedia kind of, Yeah. Um, and it covers all of those sorts of topics. Uh, that one has been fantastic for me. Cool. Um, I was about to say one of the other book. You know, I'll wrap up on the. I'll wrap up the question on this one. I think one of my favorite books, just because it's been kind of antidotal for my life, is I love. I'm a nerd. I love Tolkien's The Hobbit, and you'd be amazed at things you can get from your fiction that impact your real life. Yeah. Because I joke regularly with Gareth. I'm like, you do realize you're basically the wizard who knocked on my door and was like, "Hey, do you want to go kill a dragon and see if we can find some treasure? Let's go." <laughs> and that's basically been my life ever since. So come um, on, I'd, I'd say that's one of those other impactful books. Um, Ah, I love yes. that you said that. I listen, I, I listen or read to fiction most nights. Uh, same thing. It's been, it's such a fun disconnect. Yet at the same time, you're able to intuit lessons yeah. that apply to your life. That that it, it's it's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say those two books. One being very technical, the other one being a little bit, you know indirect in terms of its learnings so yeah yeah awesome well andrew man thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to share your wisdom your story uh with us again another inspiring uh story of of success and and how you guys are handling it and the kind of company you're growing so buddy thank you for being on here today no thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun yes sir founders thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.